We are good to go. With more of the Matt Wyatt Show. Coming to you direct and live. Now we're number two off and running with you here in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team, they are your home team. I'm Matt. Beaver is here running this thing. He's driving this bus, and he's going to get you in your driveway, pull into your driveway safely in about an hour from now. Safe and sound. It's good to have a good, experienced bus driver around here on this struggle bus. You ever heard of the struggle bus? We're on the struggle bus, but we got a good driver. His name is Beaver. Thank goodness you're here, too, and you can be a part of the show in lots of different ways. You can call the Divinity phone. You can text the Country Pleasing text line. You can comment on the Murray West live thread on the live stream if you're over there watching. Um, one of the things that Houston brought up when he called there at the end of Hour 1 was he wanted Marcus Banks to move from his safety position back to corner, the position he used to play. Jimmy says on the Murray West live thread, we're so thin at safety, we can't move Marcus Banks. And you are kind of thin. You're kind of young there, right? Like it's the probably the least experience in your depth of maybe any position on the team because the rest of it's really got a lot of experience. And we've talked that, you know, experience angle to we're blue in the face. But you look at it, you got Sean Preston who's played a bunch of football, very experienced guy, very good player. But after that, not a ton of experience in safety. And you saw the other night, I, I thought you did see the other night the difference in the defense just sort of overall without Sean Preston in the first half and with him in the second. It's it's a it's a different thing. Like he's a real he's a real deal. By the way, he's got a brother who plays on this Alabama team. And I saw the Mr. and Mrs. Preston um at one of the uh, dog walk deals uh, for the one of the early home games. They were watching Sean walk through and so they'll have a nice experience this weekend. They'll have both boys in the stadium, one on each sideline. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I kind of I don't see that as a need. I, I think that they, from a personnel standpoint, they really do know what they need and they, they made that decision early and I think having banks at safety is a really good thing for the team. Um, and and I, I think that Nicholson is gonna be fine. You know, he does a lot of really good things and has in the times that he's been in there. Uh, whether or not he's your fastest or one of your fastest, I don't know. But I, but you see a team like South Carolina the other night. They're staying away from De, um, uh, excuse me from DeCameron Richardson on the other side and, and going after, the, you know, most teams are doing that. They're staying away from Richardson and going after the other side. Whether it's Furge or... Nicholson in there at the other corner. The Carlos has done some good things, some good tackles. He's a physical player. He he had a really heads up play on that two point conversion the other night, where um, they were trying to do a throwback to a tight end, and he read it, came over there and got it, <clears throat> batted it away. And I, when I went back and watched it, I even thought, you know, it almost looked like he assumed that he had to bat that thing away, and he probably could have gone and caught it, and had he caught it out there. There's nobody anywhere like he'd have run a hundred yards and scored two points for his team very easily. <laughs> but uh, you know, you're just glad that he batted it away. So that was one thing that he brought up. Okay, but here's a couple other things, and we're going to get to these in Houston's call. Okay, he mentioned going hurry up. <clears throat> 
He wants to see State's offense uh, go quickly. And if, if you're going to be an up-tempo offense, one thing you're going to have to be is pretty good on first down. State's offense has, each week of the season, gone a little hurry up. They didn't much against LSU because it was just three and out after three and out. But in some of the other games, they've, they've put it in fifth gear and gone fast some, uh, particularly in that first week. And I like seeing it as well. I'm with you on that, Houston. I like seeing it when you can do it. But you got to make yards on first down to get into it. You have to be having a good day on first down to go to it. You can't go out there and go incomplete on first down and go hurry up. You can't go loss of yardage on first down and then start speeding up. You know, you got to make yards and be good on first down. State made a point of that going into the South Carolina game. Rightfully so. The coaches pointed out, Barbe pointed out, you know, a lot of the issue was being bad enough on first down that you get against the chains and then we couldn't get out of it. So it was sort of a point of emphasis for them, and they still were not great on first down against South Carolina. It covered it up a little bit by getting some man-to-man opportunities and just bombing it over their head in the ballgame to Tulu, who broke a school record for a single-game receiving yards. But you're not going to get those kind of opportunities every week. And the numbers said this. This is just the South Carolina game, for instance, okay? And I talk about being better on first down. Remember that the numbers I'm about to give you came for State's offense against, statistically, the worst defense in the SEC to this point. Okay, you just got to consider that. State ran 30 plays on first down, meaning there was a one on the stick over there, whether that was the start of a drive or during the course of a drive they got a first down. But when it said one on the stick, they ran 30 plays right there. You got a first down. They made 95 yards. But here's the real stat. Against South Carolina, rushing the ball. 12 times State ran the ball on first down. They made 23 yards. That's less than two yards a carry on first down. First down runs, 12 for 23 yards. 1.9 yards per carry. And you're like, well, that means they got most of their first down yards throwing the ball. They did. 23 yards rushing on first down, 72 passing. But that was 7 of 16 passing on first down. As good as State was throwing a ball the other night, they threw it for almost 500 yards. They completed less than 50% of their first down throws. So, I guess what I'm saying is, Houston, whether you're playing Alabama, a great defense, or South Carolina, a not great defense, if you only rush for 1.9 yards per carry on first down, and you complete well under 50% of your throws on first down, you're not giving yourself a chance to run an up-tempo offense. You can't do it. You just can't. Now, again, to their credit, other downs, second and third downs, they bombed away and hit those throws, and Tulu went off. They couldn't cover it. 
And and to Will Rogers' credit, he was dialed in. You gave him any time at all, he found number five down the field and put it on him. And they gave themselves a chance. They scored 30 points on the road on a night when you give up 37. But you can't go hurry up, and you can't even really get into like a what feels like a balanced rhythm playing calls if you're that bad on first down. That's just all there is to it. And what kind of stat is that? As much as anything else, that's an offensive line stat. That's what that is. All right, over to the phone line, the Divinity Equipment phone line. Open your arms like this. Clamp them together. And before you know it, you're doing the Gator Chomp. On line one, he is Gator Greg. Thanks for calling, Greg. What's up? Well, Mr. White, I know you don't you don't only focus on the East when Mississippi State plays them, and then, of course, that'd be Kentucky. So I want you to give me a little preview. I don't know if you've seen Kentucky. You have to deal with them later on. Yeah. They, the Gators have them this week. You know, Florida wins that game. They'd be 2-0 and in the SEC East. They would have won two more games, and I thought they were going to win in the SEC yeah. this year. They'd be 2-6 and six at least. And then uh, another game, you saw South Carolina. They get to play the big, bad Tennessee Vols, a team that I think a lot of people was high on, but Florida may really look bad, and I was surprised. The quarterback matchup, you have Joe Milton and uh, you have Spencer Rattler. Uh, tell me what you look for in those games. We'll talk about SEC West later in the week, but tell me what you think about these, these SEC games. And, and like I said, Mr. Why, you, you, I think your team is playing hard. Just get through this first part of the season, get to the bye week. Uh, you know, uh, with a good, decent record. And I think you're going to do some damage the second half of the year. Appreciate you, and you have a good show. Appreciate the call, Greg. As always, good to hear from you. Gators! All right, appreciate the call from Gator Greg. All right, Kentucky 4-0. And they're going They're going to host Florida this weekend. Kentucky 4-0. Who have they beaten? They beat Ball State. In the season opener, beat them 44-14. to uh, 14. Ball State is 1-3. They've given up over 40 points in three losses, and they beat Indiana State, the Sycamores, who had a really good baseball team, got a terrible football team. Uh, Kentucky beat Eastern Kentucky in Week 2 and struggled. Beat them 28-17. Eastern Kentucky has won one ball game. Losses to Cincinnati, Kentucky, Western Carolina. They beat Southeast Missouri in a shootout, 41-38. Kentucky should not get any credit for struggling at home against Eastern Kentucky. Then they beat Joe Moorhead's Akron team. They beat Akron 35-3. The Akron Zips this year are 1-3. and three. With losses to Temple, a three-point win over Morgan State. Demolished by Kentucky, couldn't move it. And then they lost to Indiana. They were competitive this past week, 29-27 at Indiana. They're 1-3. So we've looked at three Kentucky opponents who are a combined 3-9 and nine so far. And then this past week, Kentucky beat Vanderbilt, 45-28. Won their first two. They've lost three in a row. They struggled with Hawaii. Remember that in the opener, won it. They whipped up on Alabama A&M from the swag. They had a loss now to Wake Forest, to UNLV, and to Kentucky. 
They gave up 40 to UNLV the week before, gave up 45 to Kentucky. The fact that I'm pointing out here is Kentucky is 4-0, and but it is definitely some fool's gold in that 4-0. Not that they've played poorly except for that one game, but there's some fool's gold there for you. And look at what Kentucky has next. Host Florida. Travel to Georgia. Host Missouri. Host Tennessee. So three of the next four at home, but all four of those are ranked teams, all four SEC teams. And uh, the one road game is at Georgia. And Florida, you know, can, can, can certainly go in there and win that game. And really, Greg, it does feel like, I mean, for Kentucky, a lot of what happens to them and what's going to happen to them has a lot to do with this weekend. You win that Florida game, they're 5-0. and They feel great about themselves going to Georgia, put up a showing but lose, and then beat Missouri, maybe give a chance against Tennessee. But you lose that one this weekend, it's two in a row because you ain't beating Georgia. And you lose two in a row, and then you, now you're looking at maybe three or four in a row, and it's uh-oh time. So this one is a swing game for sure uh, for Kentucky. On the Country Pleasing text line, Res Dog says, I think, and this goes for Ole Miss too, the talent gap particularly – Wait, no, I'm reading Jason. This is Jason in Flagstaff. He says, I think this goes for Ole Miss, too. The talent gap, particularly on the lines of scrimmage, is much better in Alabama's favor. So much so that you almost have to pick two or three plays that you can execute perfectly and run in your sleep and just go with that. Trying to do too much, making mistakes, just gets you ground into the dust. That's it. There is no question about that. And ResDog did say, I'd find a way to blitz Preston more. Sean Preston, and keep your linebackers in the middle of the field. And they did some of that. They've done some of that, not a lot of it, but a little bit of it each week, even the last two weeks. Now, on the Murray West live thread, Jimmy said, I agree with Gator Greg. Matt focuses on the SEC East too much. You probably meant West. Focus on the West too much. I do. You know, that's where my team plays in the West. So I probably focus on them a little bit too much. All right. Now, back. So I covered the first down thing and go and hurry up. Houston also mentioned a signature win for Zach Arnett. Now, I was thinking about something. This raised, this lit the light bulb up for me because I was thinking about it earlier today. Oh, okay, Jimmy, you meant the East? All right, so the, so the amount of SEC East talk we already have is too much. You'd rather have less East talk. Hard to get less. Okay, I got you. Uh, what about a signature win? All right, so Zach Arnett is about to coach his sixth game as a head coach. He's got four games here in the regular season and the bowl game, so five games under his belt as the head coach. And my question for you was, you know, take it a step further, more so than a signature win for him, like what would it do? What would, in the current climate, let's look at it this way, in the current climate of college football, all the change – NIL, you got, you know, the NIL world you have right now is, hey, we demand that the fan base fund our rosters. So we want the fan base to give us all their money. (laughs) Donate your money because we got a good thing going. We'll go get players with it and you'll really enjoy it as a fan base. All right. So you got that going on. Transfer portal. Hey, come play for us. If you're in a portal, come play for us. You got to give them a reason to come play for you. You got to give people a reason to watch you on TV. If people watch you on TV and you have a little excitement going, 
then you become one of the media darlings because the media TV networks are surviving solely on live sports. They're not surviving on anything else. So my question for you is, what would a win over Alabama do for a team and a program like State? Now, we can sit here and argue whether it's a 1% chance or a 21% chance. I'll tell you this, it ain't much of a chance. But if they were to pull it off, what would it do for a program in this climate and in this atmosphere? Here's what I'm saying to you. Here's what I'm driving at, okay, instead of just throwing out rhetoricals. Here's what I'm driving at. We are staring at a scenario with the shifting of the tectonic plates in college football, meaning teams are getting left behind. Whether or not it can happen in the SEC, I don't know, ask a lawyer. But I know it happened in the Pac-12. There is no Pac-12 anymore. USC, UCLA left to go to the Big Ten. Others left. There ain't but two of them left. Oregon State and Washington State, and it's two really good football teams and really prominent universities. Two ranked teams, really good teams. Either one of those teams could or you could even not, would likely beat State and Ole Miss. They're left out in the cold. Now, they're on the West Coast. It's a different TV thing, I know. They're left out. Could it happen to you? Now, that's a scary thought. That is an unpleasant thought. That's the kind of thought you say it in front of some people. They go, Matt, why would you bring that up? Well, why do, you, why do you check your checking account balance? Sometimes that ain't pretty either. Why do you check your 401K during a downturn or a depression? That ain't pretty either. Why do you check it? I'm just asking the question. You have to ask the question. Could what's happening to some of these others, could that happen to you? If there is a chance it could, what do you do? What do you do to prevent it? What position nowadays must you put yourself in? You know, and I could argue good or bad. A lot of the stuff that's going on is bad. A lot of it's not healthy, but it's happening. It's a reality. So listen to this. As these plates begin to shift and things begin to change, the old college model is gone. It's dead. The idea of I go and accept a scholarship, meaning they're going to pay for all my school and I play football for them and I get my education as a result. It's over. It's done. The end at the major college level. At the SEC level, forget it. Dead. Dead as a doornail. Whatever it's moving toward is going to be massively different. Whatever this whole thing in state, you're in it right now. You're in the basket that's being shoved down this direction. Ole Miss, you're in with the folks that are being shoved down this direction. It is going to be largely driven by entertainment. Entertainment decisions. Entertainment dollars. Therefore, television dollars. Therefore, television and all it wants, which is what? Attention and viewers. Why do they put Pat McAfee on game day and take David, what's his name, off? <laughs> because... Some people like me like the analysis, but we don't know his last name. He's not, he's not getting enough clicks. He may be a great analyst. But McAfee says bad words. And that'll cause lots of idiots out here to go click, 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 click. Let's watch. Why do they put him on there? 
why is Deion Sanders at Colorado a big media phenomenon? Loads of attention, right? Would you say that Colorado now, as opposed to last year and the year before, is in a much better position to move with the power and the elites on this t- shift towards entertainment and shift away from the collegiate model? Of course they are. Why? Because of Deion Sanders. Why? Because of Deion Sanders. He is instant entertainment. You can say, well, he just got blown out by Oregon. They don't care. Do you think ESPN cares what the score is of the game, the actual game? They don't care. (laughs) The ratings come in after the game's over. We want to know who tuned in and for what reason. Hey, us reality people, old folks, we can look down our nose at running your mouth, you know, some of Colorado's players chirping at the Oregon players before the game and telling them that they were going to beat them up and beat their coach up and all that, and then losing by 40 points. We can look down our nose at that. The entertainment people don't care. They get the clicks. They get the viewers. They get the dollars. They get the attention. Going forward in college football, you are in the entertainment business. You'd better be entertainment are you going to get left behind? That's the reality. You better start figuring that out now. Stick around. Ready to talk sports the Mississippi way with you. So get in on the conversation and tell him what you think. Back with you. Here we go. Rolling along here with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. Regarding like what would, you know, how big of a deal would it be? If you pull off this upset, and that's certainly what it would be. Uh, Jimmy says, there's never been a time in Mississippi State's history when a win over Alabama wasn't a big deal. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So it'd be a big deal. That You know, there's no question it would be a big deal. But you have a product now more than ever is driven by television more than ever so you know jimmy you say on the murray west live thread there's never been a time when state's history when beating alabama wasn't a big deal no you're right it's always been a big deal but it's been a big deal for different reasons you know there's never been a time where you were looking at it going man you don't have a responsible college football media conglomerate out there covering the sport you don't have that anymore they're all you know, (laughs) scratching and clawing to make payroll. Look it up. I'm not exaggerating. Listen, think about this. Why do you think all these ESPN writers have for the last three, four days just been blowing the story up about how many people watched Colorado versus Oregon 
And how many people watched, even some of them talking about how many people watched Notre Dame play Ohio State on NBC? Why do you think they're blow, just blowing that up? I mean, one is good, but they won't talk about the fact of why are more people watching it on TV? Well, the reason is it's all about doing everything they can. It's not necessarily covering the sport. No, their job is to promote it, to drive it. You think they're going to promote teams that don't get attention? I mean, Ole Miss is a great example. I think Ole Miss is a great example of this. Name a team that has had less big wins and more media attention recently than Ole Miss. Name one. I I can think of one. What would your answer be? In fact, I won't answer it. I will wait and see what you answer. Comment on the live stream if you're on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube. Text me on the country, please, and text line. Number to text, 885-3776. There aren't many. I can name one. Can you name some? Less wins-losses traction paired with more media traction than Ole Miss recently. You know why it is? Because Lane Kiffin's interesting. And some people argue, well, Ole Miss is a university and journalism school over the years has done a better job of placing, you know, friendly people or even alumni in certain media positions. Well, maybe so. Okay, maybe so. But you can promote something all you want to until you get a following. Okay, the following is what really matters. It doesn't matter if I promote state. State would have to have a following for it to matter. So the, it's, to some degree, yes. But still the point is they're a great example of it. And it's because Lane Kiffin is a character. He's interesting. You, you can't, sometimes you could put, but, but there's controversy. Okay, I'll go back to something that came up over the last couple of days. This is related to what we're talking about here. And that is being, being an, an attention getter. See, being an attention getter used to just be for social media. Well, that's, that's football now, college football now. You have to be an attention getter. Right? You have to be interesting, compelling, right? Just being good, not really enough. <laughs> you got to be loud. You got to be the bright red shirt in a room full of black suits. So, what am I talking about? Think of every book you've ever read that you enjoyed. Non, I mean, that was fiction. Well, just think of stories. Think of every great story that you really have remembered. Think of every great movie. It's your favorite movie. You know what they all have in common? Not happy endings. Some do, some don't. Not great background. Not lovable characters. Some do, some don't. You know what they all have in common? Conflict. You know what Lane Kiffin has in his past? Conflict. Right? There ain't no... Go to Tennessee. Go to Los Angeles. You can't... The needle will move one side or the other on Lane Kiffin. We love him or we hate him. Nobody has the needle right in the middle. 
But but the need, as long as the needle is on one extreme or the other, and it's even better when the needle is on both extremes, depending on who you ask. Conflict. Conflict. It draws eyeballs. Why do you think we made such a big deal out of the Oregon coach's speech before the game? Conflict. Get everybody up in an uproar. You got people saying he's racist because he wanted to beat Deion Sanders' team. You know how stupid that is? That's the dumbest thing anybody's ever uttered on television or social media. But it's exactly what television is looking for. Conflict, controversy, major attention getting, whether you win or lose, they don't care. Now, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it healthy? Is it not? You and I can have our opinions on that, and we've got them. The point that I'm making is recognize this ball of content called college sports is ever so swiftly picking up speed here and gravitating and being pushed towards. This ain't a college thing anymore. Forget that. This is a revenue-generating, attention-getting machine that serves television so they will pay us money. And, buddy, you let us having to start take that revenue. If a court tells us that we're going to take that revenue that's going into my pocket, AD, coach, president, TV exec, host, it's been going in my pocket. We've been building facilities with it. Now I've got to pay the players with it. You let a court decide that. And whatever TV is paying for that product is going to go up <laughs> at the next round of contracts. And if you're going to be involved in it, if you're going to have a team involved in that, that entertainment world, well, by gannies, you better be entertaining. ADs are going to start making quicker decisions. Well, we got a coach over here who's done the right thing. He's doing things the right way. He's working his tail off. He's, he doesn't make waves. He just focuses on developing players and having relationships and recruiting and trying to win games. Yeah, but... Deion Sanders brought 12 million eyeballs the first game he ever coached before we knew if they were any good or not. He had 58 new players that were somewhere else last year. Entertainment. That's where it's going. So to the question, <laughs> name somebody that has had less big wins but has garnered more media attention than Ole Miss. I got one for you. Texas A&M. They hadn't got as many big wins as Ole Miss does. <laughs> True story. Paying the coach a little more. Oh, we're recruiting. <laughs> Somebody said Michigan. Hey, Mark on the uh, YouTube Murray West Live thread said Michigan. Man, they have blown Michigan up this year, haven't they? Look at all these NFL players. They're going to win the national championship, are they? <laughs> Will, he's getting it. Will's getting it. I need a bell. Right now, all I've got is uh, my bike bell that I never put on my bike here. <laughs> I need to ring the bell every time somebody gets it. Will said, to your point, Matt, how many eyeballs can your team draw? Will become the be-all and end-all. Who cares if you go 2-10 and 10 if people watch it? Hey, 
What if Colorado wins one more game this year? What kind of draw are they going to be as a TV product? They continue to be a big TV draw. Uh, for sure. Uh, Res Dog text the show. He said, $9 million a year for mediocre success seems very Jimbo-ish. Yes, but it is true, Res Dog. It does. But I have looked at that wrong, and others have too. Hear me when you say this. To Ole Miss's credit, they recognized they weren't paying Lane Kiffin just for big wins. They're paying him for eyeballs. Part of that, a big portion of that $9 million they're paying him, who else are they going to hire that gets them the kind of attention, good or bad, that he gets them? I don't believe you ought to go through life just looking for attention. But they've pushed this college athletics things to a point where that's really all it's about. If you get wins and everything along with it, great. But to get paid and become a multimillionaire and to have a program that people will consider, all you got to do is get attention. That's it. So what would a big upset do? It'd be worth millions and millions and millions in attention. I'm Matt. Stick around. It's often difficult to satisfy that special hunger. Not here, because you've got Matt Wyatt. Oh, I am starving. Don't worry, he's got a menu full. Um. All right, all right, back with you. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the plush, luxurious, warm when it's cold and cool when it's hot, luxurious Farm Bureau Insurance Studios. Don't ask me where that came from. I'm afraid that I'm right about what I've been saying. I'm not emotionally behind it. I don't like it. I'm just describing what I see. And I'm pretty sure I'm right. If you can't get eyeballs and attention, even right now, this season, much less going forward, when these court cases start, the hammers start dropping on those. Employees, revenue sharing, all this. Can, universities can pay players. Oh, I mean, it's coming. And when all this starts happening, if you can't get eyeballs and attention and be, be an entertainment magnet, they're going to leave you in the dust. And unfortunately... Lots of schools and universities are going to have to really sit there and decide, are we going that route or not? At the detriment of certain things, we're going to have to make a decision one way or the other. What's it going to be? Will commented, and he said, Colorado might end up 6-6 six and six and go play in the L.A. Bowl for some Mountain, uh, versus some Mountain West teams, but more people will watch that.
he says, then some of the bowl games are not part of the than, than every other bowl game that's not part of the playoffs. He said Colorado, yeah, he, he corrected it there, than every other bowl game. Will said, what hurts Mississippi State more than anything is our small fan base, small state, smaller alumni base compared to other SEC schools. There you are. There you are. So, <laughs> with it all shifting, I mean, the, the, the ship is leaving the dock. And, and right now, there's a whole lot of folks on it. And they have a few life rafts. But not everybody on it can fit on those life rafts. You better give them a reason to put you in one of the premium suites. That's what I see coming. That's what I see coming. Well, there you go. A little bit of time left here in the show today in the Bureau. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. See, I didn't say his name first. I was just going to hit that always sunny music and see if it got his attention. It did. Oh, it got him. That When you hear that, Beaver, it does make you perk on up, doesn't it? It does me too. Yeah, because, well, A1, it's it's always sunny and it's always going to be great. And <laughs> B2, that's, yeah, that's I know by now that that is Matt Wyatt's <laughs> cue for me to open my gob about something. Yeah. Yeah, so I do take it one step further than uh, I do at least take it one step further than Jake does. Jake just says, "Hey Beaver, what do you think about this?" Yeah, he does. <laughs> Every at, four minutes, at least I have like a little call. I got a I got a signal here. The <laughs> hey Beaver. Okay, so so this one Beaver is a historical nugget, and this one I don't think applies for overrated, underrated. Um. But it's something I want to see if you recognize. It starts with this, okay? And I'm just going to give you this piece of info, and then we'll go to the others. It starts with this. A lot of people don't know this, especially young people. The Tonight Show didn't start with Johnny Carson. The Tonight Show actually began on this day, September 27th, 1954, the Tonight Show debuted on NBC with a guy named Steve Allen as the host. That was the original one in the 50s. It sounded like this. From New York City, the National Broadcasting Company presents Tonight, starring Steve Allen. <laughs> with Edie Gourmet, Steve Lawrence. And they go through all their list of stuff. And I mean, like, the intro for the original Tonight Show was just basically an announcer. Special guest, Wally Cox, Bill Kenny of Ink Spots fame. And New York's greatest giant, Willie Mays. Just off the crossroads of the world, Times Square is NBC's Hudson Theater. That's where we're taking you now, tonight and every night. Now to meet the star of our show, Steve Allen. Here he is! Hey, Steve Allen! It's, it's really not really much of an intro. Boy, we've been making last-minute changes around. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so there you go. So it started with getting Steve Allen. So my question for you, Beaver is do you think you could identify and differentiate between 
the theme songs for the other Tonight Show hosts. The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and even when Conan O'Brien went to do the Tonight Show for a short time. Do you think if I play them, you'll be able to know which one's which? Well, it sounds like <laughs> we're going to find out. Yeah, we're going to find out. So I was just trying to gauge your confidence level, but the fact that you didn't say, sounds like we're just going to hear it, tells me that you're very confident. Well, <laughs> six, six out of ten confidence level. Okay. Maybe five and a half. Oh, okay. All right. So first one up. This is the first one up here. I'm going to play one, and you tell me, is this Tonight Show Conan O'Brien? Tonight Show Jay Leno? Tonight Show Johnny Carson? Here's the first one. All right, what do you got? Uh, Conan. Oh, man. It's not. He missed uh, it. This is uh, <laughs> This is a Tonight Show with uh, Johnny Carson. That's uh, Yeah, that's the Carson theme right there. Okay, so it's not Conan. The other two that are left are Leno and Conan. Let's see if you can get this one. Leno. You got it. Leno, and that would leave the other one. So that's Leno. That, that would leave Conan, which his Tonight Show deal was a little bit like a take on his late night with Conan. Oh, my God. Now I remember that tune. Uh-huh. Now it's uh, in your... <laughs> uh, if only you would have played that one first. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely Conan. And then he'd come out and say what? Stay cool, my babies. And he'd mm -hmm. do the little thing where the drum would match like he's got like he's a string puppet. You know, he'd do a little string puppet dance. That's good stuff. Now, somebody did say here, you're just gonna skip Jack Parr. I don't know that much about Jack Parr. And and I didn't include him in this one. Of those three, which did you like best? Carson, Leno, or O'Brien? Talking about the music, Beaver, or O'Brien. Oh, the music. Uh, Conan's seem to have a little more, mm -hmm. a little more pep. A little more pep, little I more, guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know Carson's was pretty good. Carson's was good. I'll go with Conan, though. Would you? I See, I would go, actually, with Leno, the, the music for Leno. And you know why? It definitely has a 90s feel to it, doesn't it, Beaver? Yep. Hey, you know, I was noticing this the other day when we were doing the uh, the SNL stuff and we played the, the SNL intro and then you listened to some of the theme songs for for TV sitcoms in the 90s, which it used to be a big deal, theme songs and stuff. It was a big deal because everybody watched it. The saxophone. The saxophone was a go-to for big-time productions and theme shows and theme songs, I mean, in the 90s, and then it just disappeared. Nobody does a saxophone on anything anymore, do they? No, that's a good point. I never thought about that. I mean, imagine being, big. imagine being the world's greatest saxophone player in the 90s versus now. <laughs> Did Kenny G play a saxophone, or was that something else he played? Oh, Kenny G, what did you do? 
When's the last time you thought about Kenny G? Last time I went to the dentist? Probably. <laughs> Kenny G, what did he... It, oh, my goodness, Matt. It, it's right there. Like, the man's famous for playing yeah, this. But, he played something. But it, it, I don't guess it was a saxophone, was it? See, okay, and I, Jimmy is right. Jimmy is saying this on the uh, the Murray West Live thread. He said, Leno's deal it sounds a little like SNL, and it does. And, you know, SNL is on NBC also. That's a saxophone. Hear it? Now, let's hear if there's a saxophone in Conan O'Brien's. Nope. No, there's not. I think it's time for us to make the saxophone cool again. Bring it back. I can picture Beaver playing a saxophone. Being like Ron Swanson, and he sort of has a different personality at night, puts on a hat, sunglasses. Goes out, does some entertaining local establishments. Can't you see Beaver doing that? More on that tomorrow. Same time, same place here in the Bureau. For Beaver, I'm Matt. All of us here on the show in the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. See you tomorrow, same time, same place. See you then.